everyone, and welcome to the November 5th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I am John Castro, a workers' compensation hearing representative with the Floyd's Garen Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. Pharmaceutical companies Abbott Laboratories and AbbVie will pay $25 million to resolve allegations that it employed kickbacks and unlawful methods of marketing the drug Tricor. Abbott sales representatives allegedly provided physicians with improper gift baskets, gift cards, and other items to reward physicians for writing prescriptions. The settlement also resolves allegations that Abbott engaged in unlawful methods of off-label marketing and promotion of drugs for unapproved medications. The FDA approved Tricor to treat patients with hypertriglyceridemia mixed with dilipsidemia or hypertriglyceridemia. However, Abbott marketed the drug off-label for use in treating cardiovascular events and other cardiac health risks for use in combination with statin drugs and as a first-line treatment of diabetic patients. These uses were not FDA approved and were not covered by federal health care programs. The federal government will receive $23.2 million and state Medicaid programs will receive $1.8 million out of the $25 million lawsuit. This settlement resolves a lawsuit filed by Amy Bergman, a former Abbott sales representative, under the KETOM or whistleblower provisions of the False Claims Act. The KETOM provisions permit private parties to sue for false claims on behalf of the government and to receive a share of any recovery. Ms. Bergman will receive $6.5 million as her share of the recovery in the case. This case was a cooperative effort among the U.S. Attorney. The school groundkeeper who won a jury trial against Bayer's AG Monsanto unit over the allegations that the company's glyphosate contained weed killers caused his cancer accepted a court-mandated reduced punitive damage award. The reduction brings the total award to $78 million, down from the jury's verdict on August 10th of $289 million, which was $39 million in compensatory and $250 million in punitive damages. The plaintiff, Dwayne Johnson, said that he accepted the reduction to hopefully achieve a final resolution of the case within his lifetime. The judge who oversaw the trial affirmed the liability portion of the verdict, but ordered punitive damages to be slashed to concur with the California and federal law. Bayer denies allegations that the glyphosate can cause cancer and said it will appeal the decision as the verdict was not supported by the evidence presented at trial. The verdict marked the first such decision against Monsanto, which faces more than 8,700 lawsuits over glyphosate. It is likely that the workers' compensation industry will end up with some of these claims. The company claims decades of scientific studies and real-world use have shown that glyphosate will be safe for human use. Regulators around the world, including the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, who have found glyphosate was not a likely carcinogen to humans and approved the chemical. But in 2015, the cancer unit of the World Health Organization classified glyphosate as probable carcinogen to humans. The jury found the company's glyphosate containing Roundup and Ranger Pro products responsible for causing Johnson's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and said the company had failed to warn him and other consumers of the risk. And now, our crime report. 
four chiropractors and a capper were charged this week with insurance fraud in a massive multi-million dollar workers' compensation insurance referral scheme that exploited persons in predominantly Spanish-speaking communities. Last year, 10 attorneys and six cappers were charged as part of the same investigation. This is the second phase resulting from a four-year insurance fraud investigation by the Orange County's District Attorney's Office. Three defendants charged in phase one of this investigation have pled guilty to participating in an unlawful referral scheme with one pleading to multiple counts of insurance fraud. In 2014, prosecutors received a tip from a major insurance carrier and initiated an investigation which ultimately involved more than 20 insurance carriers and self-insured entities. In 2005, Carlos Arguello III formed Centro Legal Internacional an advertising company and secured unlawful referral contracts with 20 to 40 workers' compensation, insurance, and personal injury attorneys. Arguello required all participating attorneys to sign annual contract as a joint advertising agreement. Based on the contracts, the attorneys paid Arguello a specific monthly fee for procuring and delivering a minimum number of retained clients per month. Arguello used several names for his referral scheme, including Central Legal Internacional, Justicia Legal Internacional, and Central de Abogados Internacional. He had websites created to advertise these legal services, including IWantMyLawyerNow.com, InstantLawyerAccess.com, Central de Abogados, International Union Abogados Latinos.com, and unitedinjuryattorneys.com. Each website had advertised and offered a free consultation via an online consultation form or a toll-free number which was directed to call center in Tijuana, Mexico. Arguello had the attorneys refer business to other companies that controlled including CNE Technology, Professional Document Management, and Provident Scheduling. Edgar Gonzalez, Another charged defendant in Phase 1 is accused of paying attorneys for referral of business to his coffee service company called USA Photocopy and billing the workers' compensation insurance carriers. The new Phase 2 involves Arguello's call center operators and sign-up agents who were required to stress to the callers the importance of medical treatment to their workers' compensation case, encouraging them to show up to all appointments. Once the caller agreed to become represented by an attorney from Arguello's scheme, the client was then sold to Providence Scheduling, a service foreman Inglesias is accused of owning and operating. Inglesias is accused of having arrangements with several chiropractors, including defendants Afsun Naderi, Behar Dinesh Garib, Brian Ahn, and John Larson, who are accused of paying Providence Scheduling for patients under the guise of a promotion and scheduling service agreement. Inglesias is accused of directing the chiropractors to also prescribe durable medical equipment to their patients through his several DME companies including Meridian Rehab, Bright Rehab Solutions, Prime Medical Resources, and Prime Orthopedics. Inglesias is further accused of requiring the chiropractors to refer all diagnostic imaging tests, such as MRIs, through a scheduling company owned by Inglesias and Arguello called Medex Solutions. The diagnostic facility owners are accused of paying Inglesias and Medex Solutions kickbacks disguised as scheduling services fees for each completed scan.
A brother and sister who run a construction company in Paramount have been charged with fraud that allegedly resulted in at least $6 million in losses to the state compensation insurance fund. Tarzana resident Enrique Vera, who owns Ultimate Inc., faces four felony counts of workers' compensation fraud and three felony counts of grand theft of labor. His sister, Gloria Vera, who is the company's office manager, is charged with five counts of workers' compensation fraud, three counts of insurance fraud, and three counts of grand theft of labor, all felonies. Enrique Vera was arrested and arraigned at the Foltz Criminal Justice Center. Gloria Vera will be arraigned at a later time. The prosecutor requested bail be set of $505,000 for Gloria Vera and $430,000 for Enrique Vera. The siblings allegedly submitted altered payroll records to the state fund in order to reduce premiums on the construction company's workers' compensation insurance. They are also accused of making false and fraudulent statements with the intent to discourage injured workers from claiming workers' compensation benefits or pursuing claims. Gloria Vera also allegedly failed to disclose and conceal employees' on-the-job injuries. They allegedly also underpaid employees the prevailing wage that the company was required to as a contractor for a student housing renovation project at UCLA. Gloria Vera faces a possible maximum penalty of 19 years in state prison, and Enrique Vera faces up to 15 years in prison if convicted. Workers' compensation treatment guidelines, as well as guidelines used in other systems, are based on published scientific medical outcomes research. Most assume that if the study occurred at a reputable institution and was peer-reviewed in a reputable journal, it would be rock-solid science. More and more, these assumptions is proving to be fallacious as illustrated by bad science published by Harvard Medical School. Harvard Medical School and Brigham and Women's Hospitals have recommended that 31 papers from a former lab director be retracted from medical journals. The papers from Dr. Piero and Versa, who researched cardiac system cells, included falsified and fabricated data. Last year, the hospital agreed to a $10 million settlement with the U.S. government over allegations at Versa and the work of two of his colleagues had been used to fraudulently obtain federal funding. Adversa's lab closed in 2015, and his colleagues no longer work at the hospital. Adversa has previously corrected eight of his papers, many for failure to disclose conflicts of interest. Experts in the field say he practically invented the field of cardiac stem cell therapy when he first reported that cardiac cells were capable of regeneration. Adversa's work was based on the idea that the heart contained stem cells that could regenerate cardiac muscle. He and his colleagues claimed that they had identified such cells known as C-kit cells. However, when various research teams tried to reproduce the results, they failed. Still, some scientists have tried to inject the C-kit cells into damaged hearts with mixed results at best. Adversa gained prominence as a stem cell researcher at New York Medical College where he worked before moving to Harvard Medical School and to Brigham in 2007. Adversa became a full professor in 2010. <clears throat> in regulatory news, Cal OSHA has issued citations to Circle M contractors for willful violations of nail gun safety regulations after a carpenter was seriously injured at a residential construction site. 
An investigation found that the employer failed to train and instruct employees on the proper use of pressure-powered nail tools. Last April, a carpenter was using an air pressure-powered nail gun to frame wood at a construction site in Lake Forest. The worker was carrying the nail gun in his right hand with his finger on the trigger when a nail was unintentionally discharged into his left arm. Cal OSHA's investigation found that Circle M contractor employees did not receive hands-on training for operating nailing tools safely and that the Rancho Santa Margarita-based employer did not ensure workers carrying nail guns only by the handle and not with their finger on the trigger. Cal OSHA issued two willful serious accident-related citations with more than $225,000 in proposed penalties for Circle M contractors' failure to train workers on nail guns and failure to ensure safe operating of these tools. Cal OSHA's review of the employer's injury showed a log of 34 instances of nail gun injuries suffered by employees since 2016. In 2015, Cal OSHA investigated after a Circle M contractor's worker installing hanger brackets slipped and discharged a nail into his knee. Back then, Cal OSHA cited the employer for failing to ensure workers carrying nail guns only do so by the handle. It was one of the three investigations of Circle M contractors that year following accidents in San Diego and Irvine. One worker fell nine feet while setting roof trusses, and another worker fell from the second floor while removing guardrails. Cal OSHA is conducting over 570 inspections of framing contractors since 2015. Medical costs per claim in 18 state workers' compensation systems have been analyzed in a new series of study, the CompScope Medical Benchmarks 19th edition, released by the Workers' Compensation Research Institute. California was one of the 18 states that were studied. These studies are designed to help policymakers and other benchmark state systems' performances. The benchmarks also provide an excellent baseline for identifying important trends and for tracking changes over time in response to workers' compensation reforms. In California, the study shows a decrease of medical payments per claim as a result of the continuing impact of Senate Bill 863. But many of the states had better results than California. Medical payments per claim in Massachusetts, for example, were the lowest of the 18 studied states. Many costs have been decreasing going back several years. Decreases in medical payments per claim were the steepest in North Carolina of all study states, likely reflecting the impact of recent fee scheduling changes. And in Texas, medical payments per claim decreased from 2014 to 2016, following several years of increased medical costs. And in medical news, while some medical theorists claim cannabis can help you, others might say instead that it hurts you. And new research published this month may support the latter theory. Marijuana, it seems, is not a performance-enhancing drug, at least not among young people, and not when the activity is learning. The new study, published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, finds that when adolescents stop using marijuana, even for just a week, their verbal learning and memory improves. The study contributes to growing evidence that marijuana use in adolescents is associated with reduced neurocognitive functioning. And according to a National Institute of Health survey 
conducted in 2017, more than 14% of students in middle school and high school reported using marijuana within the past month. And according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, marijuana use has increased among high schoolers over the past 10 years. At the same time, the percentage of teens who believe that regular marijuana use poses a great risk to their health has dropped sharply since the mid-2000s. And legalization of marijuana may play a part in shaping how young people think about the drug. Researchers are particularly concerned with marijuana use among the young because the THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, most sharply affects the parts of the brain that develop during adolescence. The team of research set out to determine if cognitive functions that are potentially harmed by the marijuana use in adolescence, particularly attention and memory, improve when they abstain from marijuana. They recruited 88 pot-using teens and young adults and got some of them to agree to stop consuming marijuana for the month. At each visit, the participants completed a variety of tasks, testing their attention and memory through the Cambridge Neuropsychological Test Automated Battery, a validated cognitive assessment tool. Interestingly, most of the memory improvement for the abstinent group happened during the first week of the study, which leaves the researchers feeling hopeful. And the researchers found that after four weeks, there was no noticeable difference in attention scores between the marijuana user and the non-user. While this study didn't prove that abstaining from cannabis improves adolescents' attention, other studies have found that marijuana users fare worse in attention tests than non-users. Another new study published online in the journal JAMA Network, Open, says that many injured workers turn to opiate painkillers for relief and nearly 30% may still be taking them three months after their injury, increasing the odds of addiction. According to the NCCI Workers' Compensation Prescription Drug Study 2013 update, the number of opioid prescriptions per workers' compensation claimed in the United States has climbed considerably since 2003. However, the researchers also noted that there was little data on persistent opioid use and factors associated with persistent opioid use among workers' compensation claimants. Thus, they decided to conduct this new study. For the study, the researchers collected data on nearly 9,600 injured workers who filed workers' compensation claims in Maryland from 2008 to 2016. All participants were initially treated with opioids, the findings suggest workers' compensation claimants have a high proportion of persistent opioid use. Nearly 10,000 of the injured workers filled an opioid prescription beyond 365 days from their date of injury. Persistent opioid use was significantly associated with increased age, pre-injury incomes of 60,000 or more, claims adjudicated as permanent total disability, and a diagnosis of chronic joint pain or another pain diagnosis such as migraines or fibromyalgia. Claimants with crush injuries and strain or sprain injuries were 50% more likely than those with soft tissue or contusion injuries to have persistent opioid use. Researchers concluded that the proportion of injured workers with persistent opioid use substantially exceeds recent reports on surgical patients at 90 days and the national rate at one year from the initial therapy reports by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 
many of the findings were consistent with previous research. Patients with a chronic joint pain diagnosis were more likely to be persistent opioid users. The researchers also concluded that it is possible that some participants sought a chronic pain diagnosis to justify a continued disability claim. The strong association between persistent opioid use and chronic pain diagnosis are concerning and may highlight a critical gap between the national evidence-based guidelines and actual prescribing practices. Employers who implement an MPN must provide access to care consistent with statutory and regulatory guidelines, including in rural communities. But according to a report in the New York Times, hospital closings are rising, particularly in some communities, which some are officials find to be alarming. Since 2010, nearly 90 rural hospitals have shut their doors. By one estimate, hundreds of other rural hospitals are at risk of doing so. In its June report to Congress, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission found that of the 67 rural hospitals that closed since 2013, about one-third were more than 20 miles from the next closest hospital. A study published last year in Health Affairs by researchers from the University of Minnesota found that over half of the rural counties now lack obstetric services. Another study published in Health Service Research showed that such closures increase the distance pregnant women must travel for delivery. These reports lead some to say that the options are dwindling for many rural families and remote communities are hardest hit. In July, after the New York Times wrote about these struggles of rural hospitals, some doctors responded by noting that rising malpractice premiums had made it economically infeasible to practice some medical specialties in rural areas. And many types of specialists tend to cluster around hospitals, so when a hospital leaves a community, so can many of those specialists. Care for mental health and substance use are among those most likely to be in short supply after rural hospital closures. The closure of trauma centers has also accelerated since 2001 and disproportionately in rural areas according to a study in the health affairs. The resulting increased travel time for trauma cases heightens the risk of adverse outcomes including death. Another study found that greater travel time to hospitals is associated with higher mortality rates for coronary artery bypass graft patients. So that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for the Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I am John Castro, a Workers' Compensation Hearing Representative with Floyd Scarin Manukian and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today and drop by again next week for more news.